And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let you meet our lovely guests. And if you're watching this, you can see it's Cyberpunk Day. Well, it's going to be because we're airing this in advance or recording it, whatever. I speak, I promise. But uh, so thank you guys all for joining us. I didn't expect so many to say yes. I guess Matt really is very persuasive. I, I'm I absolutely convinced he could he could convince an Eskimo that he needed to buy more ice. Probably true. Allegedly. <laughs> that was all my right. goal. I tricked them into writing stories for an anthology, and now I've tricked them into appearing on a podcast. All right, so just to keep it simple, we're going to go Brady Bunch style for the Brady Bunch Squares. I'm going to start with you, Keith. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Hi, I'm Keith Hedger. I've currently got four independent stories out on Amazon. They're available on Amazon in the Burning Bad Karma series and two stories sold to anthologies that are connected to the Burning Bad Karma series. One's in, one's a, the first book is... Uh, Moving Target, which is the story of a cyberpunk character who's been crossed over by an employer and is trying to get out in one piece. Which got followed up by Sandblaster, which is kind of military sci-fi cyberpunk. Go steal a general in Texas during a, in a combat zone. Where we introduce the character Phoebe the Tank along with everything else that went on. And go. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with these stories, though. All right. If you're curious, we did interview him. So just type his name into the Wayback Machine over on the Blasters and Blades podcast. And you can listen to that episode. All right. Next, uh, but not least, we got Miss Rachel Beck, the first lady of Cyberpunk, because I gave her the title, so we're sticking with it. Sorry, Miss Lerma. I didn't know about you then. Or you, Rosie. We'll do better. We promise. We'll get you titles, too. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rachel. Uh, I write The Glitch Logs. We're three books in. The Glitch Logs is a cyberpunk book series about a hacker who makes a living stealing from giant corporations who had it coming. One night they're on a job and they run into a rival team of thieves after the same take in the same building and things devolve from there. Uh, yeah, that's me. All right. Next, we got Mr. Mark Everglade. Hi, I'm Mark Everglade. I'm a traditionally published cyberpunk author of three novels and uh, numerous short stories featured in various anthologies. In my spare time, I enjoy reviewing cyberpunk literature and interviewing some of the legends in the genre of both classic and modern. Okay. Uh, we don't need to introduce Nick. We've been here before. Uh, next, we got Miss M.F. Lerma. So my claim to fame is I co-write with Jay and Janie. I have five books, one completed series with him, and I just started a new series that is going to be nine to 12 books long. Um, all military sci-fi, far-flung future, space opera style. Um, and yeah, we just released our first book in that series on Sunday. So got a long way to go. Yay. Okay. And uh, Janie's good people. Uh, next, we've got Mr. Matthew A. Goodwin. I'm told the A is very important. Right. It's the only thing that differentiates me from another author, Matthew Goodwin, who his claim to fame was he had to eat a book on camera after making a bet incorrectly about Brexit or something like that. So he, he, to he took the name, so I have to be Matthew A. Goodwin. Um, I write 
a seven book cyberpunk series called a cyberpunk saga basically and every man who works for an evil mega corporation discovers that they're evil and has to try to take them down and then hundreds of thousands of pages later or whatever you know or hundreds of thousands of words later really he you know may or may not <laughs> okay uh we've got miss rosie record next hi everyone i guess i'm kind of the newbie on the scene i published my first book last year cyberpunk dystopian novel about a woman fighting the system in uh, California next where a wall has been erected around the new borders of California. And she uh, has to discover uh, if her employer is lying to her and how deep the lies go and takes her on fun adventure into underworld and all that good stuff. All that cyberpunk <laughs> stuff. Are you in California? I used to be. Then I moved to New York. Now I'm in uh, Nashville. So no. Okay. I'm currently residing in lovely San Diego, where I'm lied to constantly. San Diego, so I be in Temecula, close by. Temecula, nice. Where the rest of us will just pretend we know what all that means. And next, we'll get Mr. Jim Keen introduce himself. Hey, everybody. Um, I write science fiction as well. I currently have a trilogy out. It's set 40 years time in New York post AI, and it follows uh, the story of LSU, an NYPD cop who gets sucked into um, an, a world of post-singularity intrigue and action and adventure. And as you can tell from my accent, I'm British, but I've been living in Brooklyn, New York for nearly 20 years. We won't hold it against you. Thank you. The, the Brooklyn part, not the British part. Oh, okay. we don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> what a All right. And so the next part is how this first, this first happened. So Matthew uh, was a, a follower of the listener of the show. So he invited himself on, as you do. And uh, once we interviewed him, he told us about the first Cyberpunk Day, and that was last year, I believe, was the first one, or at least the first one we interviewed you about. Yeah, last year was the second was one, but yes, yeah, my, my uh, our first uh, collaborative Cyberpunk Day. And so after that panel ended, he somehow convinced me to publish an anthology for him because I had the infrastructure in place for publishing my own anthologies, and the rest is history. So now, you know, why wouldn't we do round two? You guys liked it so much last year, only. I seem to remember less people last time. You must be getting more popular. Yeah, or I'm just becoming more and more persuasive with every passing day. I just try to find more people to write in this genre. You know, cyberpunk is a little bit too niche, and I think there's a huge market for it. So hopefully more people who write sci-fi will branch out into cyberpunk. You know, edge runners in the last month really proved that people are cha uh, champing at the bit for, for more cyberpunk content. It seems to be growing in popularity from what I noticed. So that that's really good. That's yeah, it's 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 niche now, but it's it's gonna go mainstream probably I would say in the next five years, with the amount of people that are writing it. Well, I think more people are gonna know what it is, hopefully. You know, there's like the sort of marquee movies or books in every ten years. You say the Matrix, you say Ready Player One, you say, Well, Blade Runner, you know, you there's sort Johnny of Johnny Mnemonic. There you go. Yeah, I mean, anything William Gibson, really. Um, yeah. And hopefully people will know what that is. But, you know, I would like for it to not be every 10 years. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll do our part. Uh, but before we get started, because this is the Sci-Fi Shenanigans, and we do the religion questions, we're going to start. And you've got, you know, just the first one that cops to the top of your mind, because we want to have more time to talk about the actual uh, Cyberpunk day. But we'll start with you, Keith. Uh Blade Runner, Alita Battle Angel, or Ready Player One? Ooh. 
Okay, I'm going to have to go with the classic Blade Runner because I'm old enough that that got me part of the way into Cyberpunk. But yeah, there's not a bad choice there. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about you, Rachel? Um, I'd say probably still also Blade Runner of the set. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, Mark? I appreciate the fact that Ready Player One can bring at least some of this to perhaps to a new generation, but I got to go with Blade Runner, of course. Uh, acceptable answer. All right, uh, Nick, we, we already know your answer. So, Miss Lerma. No, Sorry. no, no, you got to tell me what my answer is first. <laughs> uh, you're old, so you're going to go with Blade Runner because that's what we oldies do, right? You got to go with the original? I hate that you know me so well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right Miss Lerma. Blade it's Runner, Alita Battle. Runner, uh, which is kind of funny because it's part of where the Slip Runner name came from for my new series. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah. Mr. Goodwin. Um, yeah, what I mean, you, you know, I, I think anybody would be shocked if we said anything other than Blade Runner. For me, it was Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep was the thing that introduced me to the genre, even though it could be argued technoir. Blade Runner, it, that movie just it changed my life and is the reason I'm sitting here today. So absolutely Blade Runner. Yeah. All right, yes, fair, yes. fair. Rosie, Blade Runner, Battle Angel, or Ready Player One? I got to say Blade Runner, like everyone else. <laughs> All right, Jim, are you going to be the different one? No, Blade Runner as well. Anything, <laughs> anything right. but Ready Player right. One. Eight for eight. I love it. And because we are polytheistic here at the Blasters and Blades podcast, we've got Elysium, Total Recall, or Ghost in the Shell. We're going to start at the back and work our way up this time. So, Jim. Uh, Total Recall. The, the first version, obviously, because Arnie is awesome in it. Okay. Rosie? Uh, um, well, that one's hard. I don't know. Elysium? I liked all of them, so you, you can't lose on this one. What about you, Matt? There's no I, I right think, or wrong um, answer. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost in the Shell was, uh, was a it was pretty formative for me as well. I, I think Akira edges it a little bit, but Ghost in the Shell of, the, of those three. I love Total Recall and Elysium too, but yeah, Ghost in the Shell. Okay. All right, Miss Alerma. Definitely Total Recall, because that was, I saw that before Blade Runner, and that was kind of what got me into it. Okay. Uh, Mark? We got Elysium, Total Recall, or Ghost in the Shell? Yeah, I definitely got to go with uh, Ghost in the Shell. I think philosophically it's a little bit uh, perhaps more interesting. I also think it might ha uh, hold up to the course of time a little bit better than Total Recall does. Though I appreciate how Total Recall, like Blade Runner, leaves you with these big questions of discussion at the end regarding, you know, was it all virtual, et cetera. So it's been a lot of fun, uh, all of it. Okay, Rachel? Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell. All right, all right. And last but not least, Mr. Keith. I'm going to go with Ghost in the Shell, the original anime. Um, like the live action, I actually like it for different reasons, but it was a really good movie. But yeah, and I liked all three of them, so not a not a wrong answer there. So okay, uh, and then because this is these are fun and there's so many of you, we're doing it the quick one. We've got the Fifth Element, Watchmen, or Judge Dredd. All right, Keith, we're going to go back from top to bottom this time. Which Judge Dredd? <laughs> Dealer's choice. I didn't specify because I, I knew there were options. Ooh. Carl Urban. Carl Urban is amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go with All that. Right. Again, no bad choices, really. All right, Rachel. 
Sorry, run that list again. So we've got uh, Fifth Element, The Watchmen, or Judge Dredd. Multi-pass! Uh, fifth Element, I guess? Yeah, let's go with Fifth Element. It's an excellent choice. All right, Mark, we've got uh, the, got yeah. the choices. You got uh, fifth element? element? Yeah, Fifth Element. You know, it's so eccentric that it really frees the mind as far as creativity goes. You feel like anything is possible creatively after you see it. All right, what about you, Nick? I don't know what you're going to say on this one, but I'm thinking Judge uh, Dredd. Uh, it's really a toss-up between Watchmen, which is the most uh, um, accurate comic book adaptation, but I'm going to have to go with Judge Dredd. Call okay. Urban. Okay. Call Urban. Not Stallone. Never Stallone on Judge Dredd. No. 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 <laughs> is Stallone no. ever the right answer? He is. Have you Expendables. Seen, uh, Samaritan? Expendables. Samaritan. Rocky. I mean, come on. I could spend two hours just talking about his list of accomplishments. But Carl Urban in Judge Dredd is probably the most accurate character transfer from page to screen. So we haven't done any movie reviews of cyberpunk movies. We'll have to do that as one of our episodes and have some of you guys back on if we can arrange the logistics. All right. Miss Lerma, Fifth Element, The Watchmen, or Judge Dredd? That one's really tough because I love The Fifth Element. I agree about The Watchmen because, you know, if anybody who read it and watched, you know, watched it, it was perfect. But I love Stallone and Judge Dredd. That is... I watched that movie so many times. It is one of my top favorite movies of all time. You can't win them all. You can't win them all. Uh, Matthew, we've got Fifth Element, Watchmen, or Judge Dredd? This is really, this is really a tough one. Although, frankly, if I was going to do a Stallone cyberpunk, I would go with Demolition Man. I don't know how other people feel about that movie, but that movie, like, I just loved it i like that i'm answering with something that wasn't even on there i'll go i guess i'll go with fifth element but but my side answer is actually demolition man which wasn't on the list dude i agree with you hard wholeheartedly on demolition yes. man. nailed it yeah love okay it. i watch okay. it once a year rosie fifth element hands down my favorite movie all right outstanding outstanding and you uh mr jim well seeing as i bought my first just dread comic when i was seven years old i have to go for that as a great movie. The Carl Urban one. Anybody who likes the Stallone one is clearly crazy. I don't get it. I'm insane. <laughs> <laughs> and shots I, fired across the bow, mate. Well, I actually did I actually did a podcast review of the Stallone Judge Dread yesterday, and so I had to watch it this weekend and it just reminded me what a what an awful, awful movie that is. <laughs> I feel no shame. It's okay. It wouldn't have been embrace bad it. it wasn't embrace tied to embrace a the shame. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And we've got one more because you know, I, I wasn't sure how many people were having if I had time to fill. But RoboCop, The Matrix, or Tron? All right, Jim. Oh, RoboCop, definitely. Fantastic movie. You have very three much seconds to comply. Yeah. All right, Rosie? Matrix. Good answer. All right. <laughs> Matthew. Yeah, again, tough. Uh Okay, I'm gonna. Matrix is my, I think, my final answer. That 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 one's by by a hair, but I love the Matrix and the world of the Matrix and the Animatrix. Although it's really just the first one, I, I struggled with pretty much all of the other ones. But it was the first one in the game. I think it was called Enter the Matrix. I played the snot out of that game, like all through college. I just love that game. So the matrix has a special place in my heart on my og xbox i did the same i still have it it's it's, my it's, oh man i'm coming over <laughs> <laughs> all right you're on the same side of the country too so. 
Yeah, San Francisco and San Diego is not that far. There you go. Road trip. All right, Miss Lerma. Robocop, Matrix, or Tron? Matrix, no discussion. All right, Nick, I don't know your answer on this one. I got I got nothing. Tron, no cap. Okay, okay. Mark? I've been talking to my daughters. They're teenagers, so their vernacular is... Yeah, I, I get that. It happens. For real, for real, no cap, dead ass. I got to echo All the right. Matrix. Totally got to echo the Matrix on this, especially the first one. So. Okay. All right, Rachel. Yeah, Matrix. Uh, first one, like the effects hold up for the most part. Like that, yes. that piece holds together really well. Even on a yeah, it's and then the other cool thing about the Matrix is it was filmed right before the shift where everything was green screen and the acting, like who needs to act? We'll just have explosives in the background. So they've got the perfect blend of actual acting and the, the effects. It's good choice. All right, Keith. You have to bring it home. This is the last one for the night on these types of questions. RoboCop, I, I, The Matrix, or Tron? I'm going to go with RoboCop, or um, Matrix, excuse me. But RoboCop is a really close second, the original one. Just because yes. of that line at the end. They'll have families. They always do. Yes. And so, Which, you, dear listener, if you're listening, we're going to be uh, airing this before the Cyberpunk Day that brought these fine people here. But uh, you can weigh in on their live chat when they're doing the things and, and tell them what you thought the right answer should have been. You could do it when we paste it, post it on Facebook or, or anywhere the, else you're, you're, uh, you're listening or viewing. Tell us what you would have voted for. That's always a fun conversation. And, and I'm sure we can get the people to come back and defend their answers if you want to disagree. All right. So the next group of questions is a little bit of get-to-know-you questions that uh, we'll do round robin. So I am going to skip uh, Mr. Keith, Rachel, and Matthew, because you've all been here before and answered these, so I will encourage all of you to go back to their various interviews. And for the ones who haven't been here before, this is just for them to get to know you as a nerd. All right. So uh, yeah, we here at the Blasters, quick. yeah, we here at the Blasters and Blades podcast love both the fantastical and the scientific. But what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, we'll start with Mark. I mean, it was definitely fantasy with, you know, of course, everybody's going to say Tolkien, et cetera. Uh, but it wasn't long before, you know, Snow Crash came into my, you know, bookshelf and then totally changed my life. Okay. And uh, Ms. Lerma? This is a weird answer for me, but it was sci-fi because of a middle grade series called Animorphs. Oh, <laughs> all. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember those. I, was, I read every single one of those, like, every release day. And that was, like, my foray into science fiction. Okay. Well, actually, right. um, oh, shoot, what was the movie they just remade? The Madeline Langle book. Oh, Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time. That was the first yeah. one I ever read. And I was, like, in, I don't know, elementary school, so I didn't really understand it. But that was the first one. Okay. All right, Rosie. Uh, Rosie, so uh, what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Well, books, I'd have to say fantasy, but films, always sci-fi. It was a very close toss-up. Because in school, I always loved science, too. So if I, okay. had, if I had to pick, I guess sci-fi. Okay. And Jen? Uh, sci-fi for me as well. Again, back to Judge Dredd, that was the first thing I bought when I was seven years old. I got Prog 1 with him in it, 2000 AD, and I've been reading it ever since. Okay, so what is it, and we're going to go backwards this time, so what do you love about speculative fiction, that sort of umbrella genre that covers everything, Jim? 
Oh, that's, I mean, that's a great question. I, I like the fact that in, I think science fiction is, for me, it's the one real genre that allows you to kind of look at and think about current society, but with a bit of a remove from it. So I think, for instance, cyberpunk is, especially in the 70s and 80s, was a really accurate depiction of how corporations were becoming more powerful. So really, you write about the current current world, but giving it a different point of view. And that's, I think there's no other genre that does that, really. Okay. Uh, Rosie, like, you know, what about you? Like, Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But, no, I was uh, saying also, like, I'm just a big fan of gadgets and spaceships and intelligent machines as well. So, you know, you can keep your dwobbits and shiny swords. Give me a robot anytime. Okay. All right, Rosie, what is it you love about speculative fiction? Just, uh, yeah, just that you can build a world um, rooted in a reality that is coming in the future. You can see the path forward with uh if it's steeped in science and and like jim said yeah it's a it's a great backdrop for kind of discussing like current day events and current day human traits that could be morphed into something really sinister and dark in the future and and let the reader kind of uh consider where they are right now and how they can be better and how society can be better it's Okay, so just before we keep going, I'll clarify. Speculative fiction is what I said, not science fiction, which includes sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and anything that isn't basically fiction. Um, but we'll we'll let your answer stand, Miss Lerma. What is it you love about speculative fiction as a genre? Um, so I'm sure plenty of us here are fans of Black Mirror and like the darker aspects of how we push the human boundaries, and that's what really got me into writing spec fic was. Uh, the black mirror shit and oh, i'm sorry i don't know if we can curse but um i don't know i just like yeah, seeing uh, how dark we can get <laughs> and the things that we'll do to ourselves to get ahead and then rooting that in what's actually plausible so i don't know i like doing that okay and mark i mean it's it's really speculative fiction is a blank slate that you can see how different societies might come about how they might work and function what the challenges of different societies, either in different planets or realities or realms might um, might be. So you can explore what's possible in this world as far as the different modes of social organization. Um, Aldous Huxley's um, Island is a great example of that. Okay, and uh, next we have, what is it, um, how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition from, hey, I wanna read and watch and, and do all the things to, I wanna write my own stories in this space. So we'll go with you, Mark, first. Um, how I transitioned to writing stories. Um, basically, yeah, when you read things like um, Snow Crash, you know, by Stevenson, and you've got you know, myth uh, Sumerian mythology and neurolinguistics and, you know, virtual reality sword fights, and somehow it's all put together into one, you know, you can't help but be inspired, like, wow, you know, I can combine everything I've ever known or everything I've ever studied into one genre, and it can fit into, you know, this loose box that we call cyberpunk. Uh, which is just, you know, a playground. And the virtual realm itself is a playground for your imagination where you can do pretty much anything. Okay. Uh, Miss Lerma? Yeah, like Mark said, um, virtual reality is it's a great playground. And I am a little bit of a junkie when it comes to that stuff. And everything that I've ever seen or read didn't quite touch on it the way that I would have liked to see envisioned. So it was kind of like, a fan fiction of you know all the aspects that i didn't get to see explored so i wanted to write it myself okay uh rosie 
I've always wanted to be a writer since I was a little girl. And uh, I, when I finally committed to writing my first book, I, it was because I had, uh, I, I wanted to explain what was everything that was going on in my mind, like what I saw happening around me in society and politics. And I wanted to be able to voice it in a way that could be meaningful for future generations and, you know, have people kind of read something more metaphorical, but apply it to their lives in a, in a more concrete way. And I, and I think that all fiction, all writing has that power. And I wanted, I guess it for me, it's a little bit of legacy. Like I wanted that to be a legacy. I wanted to be able to contribute to people's outlooks on, on themselves, on society, on the future. Okay. All right, Jim, what about you? How did you transition to the writing world? Well, I mean, I was, I was really lucky that I, some some people here might know, I spent 20 years as an architect. Um, and I, in that career, I did a lot of design competitions where you would really get to put, push like modern design and really high tech futurist design. And I was doing all this design work at the same time as watching Blade Runner and reading Snow Crash and all that sort of stuff. And so I just started to have the ideas for what would happen inside the designs of the buildings. And so I started, started off doing some short stories to do with the buildings I was designing. And then they got longer and longer and longer until it became a novel. And that was the first one I published. Okay, like that is a... For sci-fi. Okay, well, that's some, some lofty comparisons. Um, so many authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So did uh, were there any formidable moments that shape you as a storyteller? We'll start with you, Mark. It's difficult to say the way that the unconscious really comes out into everything. You know, people ask, as an author, are you every single character that you write? You know, just like if you have a dream, are you every, char every character in your dream? You know, you are the dreamer and you are the... And so it, it's difficult to say. I don't believe I have anything from my real life that filters into the stories, but I think it would be impossible to be a human being and not, you know, absorb through osmosis every experience you've ever had in life not to mention standing on the shoulders of the giants of everything you've read in the past. Okay, that is uh, that's a good answer. So, Miss Lerma? Um, yeah, but not so much in like the science fiction or the speculative fiction aspects. It's darker things that, you know, I've experienced or been through or has touched me in some way it always makes it into the books somehow to the point that, yeah, Apparently I take it too far because I've had readers message me and ask me like, have you ever been kidnapped or tortured? Cause those were very realistic. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> not sadly, but you know, um, but I think that, you know, we embellish some of those things and we as writers take those dark experiences and then write them in a way that kind of is cathartic and it just comes out that way. Okay. Um, Jim. Uh, I was working in a corporate office in Midtown Manhattan, wearing a suit and a tie and really hating my job. And I got into a stand-up <laughs> argument with the chairman of the board and I told him to fuck off. And uh, he called security and I was escorted from the building and had my phone taken away. And I was dumped out on the sidewalk and it was a boiling hot June. And uh, that became the inciting incident for the bad guy in my book. <laughs> I literally went home and wrote that scene, but from from his point of view, how what the pleasure he got from kicking somebody out of a job. So that was my starting point. I like it. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I like it. I like it. That's real. <laughs> yeah. 
and it's practical. And that's so cyberpunk as it gets. Being placed by being replaced by a machine is uh, cyberpunk as it gets. You're right. So let's transition from the writing side to talk about things from a fan angle. So rather than break down all the questions, were there uh, what are some of your milestones regarding your interaction with with your fans since you started writing, Mark? The milestones in turn for the interactions go. Um, you know, Cyberpunk there was a uh, major milestone. I know we'll be talking about that um, probably a little bit more later, um, but. Also, you know, at first you're you're soliciting the attention of the world, and um, you know, and eventually, when I guess when people are, are writing, to, uh, putting together different publications, and they're coming to you for your opinions instead of you reaching out to them. Um, I guess that's kind of the not the most romantic answer, but you know, business-wise, I guess it's an honest answer. Okay, Ms. Lerma. I think it was um, like, I don't, you know, I'm constantly with the imposter syndrome thinking I'm a trash writer and nothing that I do is great or anything. And then I think it was one of the 20 books conferences where, you know, I think it was my first one, actually, because I didn't I'd never been there before. And people were coming up to me and you're like, oh, you're Molly, right? With Jay and Janie. And uh, they're like, oh, you do the fifth column. And, you know, I didn't know people knew who I was. So that was kind of like a big moment for me. And then um i don't know people kind of wanting to reach out and talk privately you know just because they're a fan is kind of like a, a big deal to me too so those are the kind of things that kind of have been turning points for me and every good review because i'm always like oh my gosh somebody liked it <laughs> amazing reviews do matter so uh, what about you rosie what was uh do you have any milestones like first autograph first uh, i don't know fan recognition like what what is it for you not yet. Um, I guess <laughs> kind of a silly answer. The biggest milestone is I submitted uh, the book to Writer's Digest, uh, some competition, and one of the didn't win. But one of the judges actually commented very positively and said that the book was actually funny. <laughs> That's one thing. Like, I always think I'm hilarious and, and people are not necessarily onto my humor. So it was really, it was great to have a judge say, ah, oh, no, she's funny. Okay, that's a win. Jim, what about you? I mean, personally, finishing the trilogy was a really big thing for me because I'd spent so long working on it. So I felt that was really great. And then getting feedback from people who read the books is always a wonderful thing. So, I mean, again, I struggle with imposter syndrome as well. And I always think, you know, whenever I finish anything, all I can see is the faults in it, not necessarily the bits that people like. So when people write to me and say how much they enjoyed it, it always, you know, makes me feel great. I feel very fortunate to be in this position. Okay, um, so normally we would pause right now and we would put a mark in here for the commercial, but since we are being sponsored graciously by Bayonet Books on uh, Deadly Enhancements Anthology, and some of the writers are right here, uh, I will throw a link to it. It's a uh, cyberpunk day and themed anthology that Matthew broke my arm and said you will you will publish this. So we did. Um, yeah, but uh, thank you to myself for, for hosting this one, and we'll dive right in. So first we're going to talk about, like, let me show this this logo. It was glorious. We'll show it one more time. Cyberpunk Day. So what is Cyberpunk Day? And this is sort of anyone can chime in for those who, who weren't here last year. Got to remember to unmute. That helps. Cyberpunk Day is a celebration of the genre by fans for fans. There you go. That's my sound bite. All right. Anybody else want to want to weigh in? It's uh, 
Yeah, I agree. That it's definitely an opportunity to, to take um, a variety of media developers and, um, you know, whether they're doing books, video game development, tabletop RPG, and likewise the fans and all these disparate communities that, you know, may be pariahs to some degree, or they may be very independent people. They may not always be um, people who want to interact with others or seek out others beyond the screen. And, you know, build a community, build a sense of belonging for them, uh, connecting them to the media creators, and more importantly, connecting them to other fans who share this very esoteric niche passion uh, so that they can then, you know, share their interests with the world and feel a sense of belonging. Okay. So I don't know how many of you were involved in year one, but how did uh, Cyberpunk Day come about? Well, so I guess I should take this one. Um, for... <laughs> I may have answered this last year, but it's a fun story, so I'll tell it again. Um, there was, I, I was still working at the zoo at the time, and I saw that it was National Denim Day. Somebody had pointed it out, and I thought, all right, if, if denim can have its own day, then something that I love as much of, as cyberpunk deserves its own day. And I looked, and of course, there was no cyberpunk day, and... I asked a, f a few people really in that in that in the inception, and one of the people was Mark here. I, I was one of the first people I reached out to to say, "Hey, would, would this would this be a thing that anybody would have any interest in?" And um, the first year we did everything live, and it was the exact first year story that you think of. It kind of felt like everything was put together and and then fell apart, but it still looked good and. Um, was a good foundation and then last year it really um became something much bigger um we started working last year especially with artel saurian games who you know created the cyberpunk tabletop series and uh cyberpunk 2077 and mike pondsmith was kind enough to come on and there was a cyberpunk red actual play and so we really um really got a, a big day last year and then we're hoping for another really huge day this year. Um, of course, many of the people who are on here are also um, involved, uh, particularly Rachel and, and Mark, who have been super instrumental in putting everything together. Jim also uh, offered up some art for this year, so you'll be able to see some some new art from Jim. And then, of course, these other guys who are on here are in the anthology, which if you're joining us for Cyberpunk Day, you should also go check out, check out Deadly Enhancements with stories from these guys, too. Okay. Um, so what is it you think that makes cyberpunk appealing? And, and Nick, you can answer even though you're not one of the authors involved in this, because I know you're like an uber cyberpunk fan. So this is sort of open for everybody. But what is it you guys that, that draws you to cyberpunk as a genre? It feels honest. Because I think kind of where I start, like, so I got into cyberpunk when I was also working a corporate job. Uh, I didn't get I didn't, you know, swear at my boss and get fired. But um, it was like I, I contemplated, you know, jumping off a bridge on my lunch break. And then I thought, how sad is it that I'm trying to schedule this? Um, <laughs> that's not great. Like, I need to reprioritize here. Um, and Cyberpunk felt honest because um, it was clear that, like, no, the business cares about one thing. It's bottom line. And you're a cog in that machine. And so it was like having an honest discussion about um, not just, you know, late stage capitalism, but also like the way that technology, uh, which could be this amazing tool to make people's lives better is instead used as a tool for control in so many ways. Um, and it was an honest discussion about like what makes a person and it was an honest discussion about just so many 
of these hard topics that were like often sort of glazed over and it helped sort of in a sense it like it helped me make sense of my current experience uh you know in a cubicle you know working in, in marketing of all things you know and to be like oh, okay like i have a, a genre that helps me interpret what's happening around me and both um understand what i'm fighting and also like in a sense see the sort of like romance is maybe not the right word but i'm going to use it but the romance of like yeah like i'm sitting here stuck in traffic on the five um in la um and the sun's coming up over this desert concrete hellscape and like that's my life but there's also a moment there that i can appreciate and be like yeah i know where i fit in this world and i know like who and what i'm fighting and there's like a deep goodness to that so did you ever figure out what it means to be human did you come to the conclusion yet or are you still working on it i mean the answer i uh i uh posited in the anthology among other things is that one of the things that make us human is we're so damn petty <laughs> oh yeah Okay, uh, I, I would I would imagine most of us would agree with that. But is, um, what for everyone else was there? What is it about you know cyberpunk that, that draws you in? Feel free no, to, to chime in. I've always uh, um, what I think things I really like about it is it feels near future to me. It's less of the. I mean, I, I love space opera and in banks and ships that have warp drives and Star Trek and stuff. But cyberpunk feels to me like it's just about to happen. You know, and so it feels something that's it's science fiction, but it feels more relevant to my day to day life. And again, being on a on a car, watching the sun come up or being on the subway in New York, not wanting to go to my job and just thinking like how easy it would be for something like the, the Matrix to happen or Neuromancer to happen or the peripheral, which are now is like the TV show. You know, I feel like cyberpunk is is more prediction of the future that I could see happening than a lot of other genres. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but all right. Just a thing. I would love to go to work <laughs> virtually. I don't know how, how you do the border patrol thing virtually, but I mean, I guess oh, become you become a done. drone. Uh, yeah, uh, that that a drone could definitely do my job. I'm saying that. Oh yeah, I would love nothing more than to just chill out somewhere around Galveston in the Gulf of Mexico and drink my ties and let my brain, while I'm focused on the beach, let my part of my brain do the job. Because it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a hard job, it's a physically demanding job. But, and I don't want to do it anymore because my body hurts. So I need to have another augmentation. <laughs> All right. Okay. All the right. Thing for me, the thing for me, having started really reading it back with Gibson and Neuromancer in the Sprawl trilogy and up through snow crash and all that is yeah like jim said that seems like it's right around the corner i try to place my stuff like 20 30 years out where there's enough time for this tech to get there yeah and like like i said i've got a family member who's going through a pretty serious health issue and when the doctor's like if it was 20 years from now we would just print you a kidney that's and you're going <laughs> wow <laughs> And here we are with different parts. Yeah, know? we're we're right on the edge of that being workable. But I mean, that's that's certain technology. They always say it's you know twenty more years yeah. we're there. I've heard yeah. that for the last forty years about cold fusion being in twenty years. 
So yeah. sometimes those bars just keep moving. Yeah, but it's I can play in the highest that that you can sit if you're right in cyberpunk, you can get to the highest corporate or government places. You can play down in the streets in the gutters. You can find people who are specialists, so they're living a what would be a decent life, but what they're doing to live that decent life and not, you know, end up crushed under somebody's heel for it is real questionable. So you can have a lot so, of fun with that. Moral questions, ethical questions. What's the right or wrong use of this? What's the right or wrong place of government, corporation, people? What is it to be human when you start modifying your body to that extent? Because well, it's not just even that it's, it's 20 years down the line. Now it it's cyberpunk is now. And I think that's part yeah. of the reason that it is so vital is that it, it, it doesn't even have to be near future. So much yeah. of the things that were predictive in the 80s are now. I mean, there are five companies that pretty much rule everything. You know, we do have akin to yeah. virtual real like virtual escapism in such a real way. All of these things that seemed like science fiction. This call is science fiction 10, 20 years ago. I mean, yeah. you know, the things that were cyberpunk are now. And um, it's yep. still, of course, fun to play the tape forward and say, well, what's what does it look like when you can print a kidney? What does it look like when cars yeah. fly for no reason other than that? It's it's fucking cool. Um, you know, <laughs> I think that's part of why cyberpunk is so vital and, you know, still um like has a great uh, great future because we can still predict these things out always in the next for the next 20 years okay so do you think that cyberpunk is specifically one genre versus another one one genre one medium so you know we all are here with the exception of nick we write the words some people draw the pictures Okay, don't tear down my art, okay? First I'm not. I'm just saying it's a different medium. I wrote those first seven issues of Phantom Hawk, which now I'm realizing is actually a cyberpunk book besides the superhero. <laughs> no, no. I, I just mean yeah. the, the, the medium me is down. different. I paid more money than you. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But no, the, the point was just that the mediums are different. Do you on think the, cyberpunk... On the book. On the book. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Do, do you think cyberpunk is works better in some mediums than other... Uh, comics and graphic novels versus television versus written word short story versus long format like do you think it lends itself to one medium versus another no oh, i think the storytelling no. i think the storytelling style has to be changed a little bit but i think cyberpunk works in every medium i've seen it in we were talking about movies earlier we've talked about books there are comic cyberpunk comic books that work incredibly well in the genre and if uh if you're if you're listening and not watching, everybody in the panel was nodding their head right along with him. So we will accept that as confirmation and move on. I don't, I, I think right. Oh, wait, I said something right? <laughs> yeah. Mark your calendars. Well, here's the... You like, get, so you're you get about, a free comic book. Thank you. <laughs> you're talking in terms of medium, but I, I would argue that cyberpunk also um, meets and like mixes and matches with other genres extraordinarily well like cyberpunk and horror are like they're like they're, they're buddies right like especially if you get into like body horror things like that um you want to talk like I, I argue that um cyberpunk is a different take in a lot of ways on the superhero question what do you do with power right okay. um we get augmented super speed with like limbs or you know magic 
magic fairy dust or whatever, but you've got, you know, you, your laser vision, you've got your x-ray vision, you've got all, you know, all these things, like we've come at them from a different angle, but essentially it deals with many of the same skill sets, but it says like, hey, what if people didn't get power and think, wow, with great power comes great responsibility. What if they thought, wow, with great power comes a great profit line. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's. Which seems to be the case most of the time. Yeah, right. we advance in technology. Yes, yeah. so it's it's definitely grounded in reality, but it's also fantastical and futuristic at the same time. And yeah, you'll see. Um, and I'm very I'm very new to cyberpunk, um, like yeah. in the last five years, and I've I've enjoyed everything that I've seen about it, at least in the comic book realm. And well, that seems to be the line. You know, after you know Gibson starting Gibson and Sterling in the and Neil Stevenson started getting you know noticed. You started seeing like science fiction, space opera, military sci-fi, where characters were getting implanted in limb replacements and the cyberware elements. And cyberpunk is kind of tied to everything because, like I said, with my stories, they all end up being cyberpunk something: cyberpunk thriller, cyberpunk action adventure, cyberpunk mill sci-fi. I end up with another genre in there, but the characters are formatted as they're primarily cyberpunk characters they're just trying to make a living and get a job done don't you think though that cyberpunk if you i would say that if you asked however many people you asked 90 percent of them would say cyberpunk is neon lights and rainy streets and a lone cop i do i do think it's become a real cliche in in manga and cinema yeah in many ways and i think and I think the people you're talking about, like Sterling and you know, and Gibson and Stevenson, those books are amazing. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many people have heard of Snow Crash that aren't really into the genre. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like, um, was it what was the one? Was it called what's the one on Netflix? Matt, Kite Runner, Carbon? Carbon. No, no, the car, the manga, the one that's just been out. Oh, yeah. Edge Runners. Edge Runners. I mean, it's like, I mean, that that's your, your like your Uber current cyberpunk isn't it so netflix in that um, it's going to boil down to this essence but it's really no much more not much more modern than akira which is like 30 years old yeah. and um amazon's got a new series called the peripheral which is based on a built william gibson series coming out yeah that's actually i think that's actually really interesting from here <laughs> so. i mean i think i mean i, I agree like i think uh, uh, keith i think the peripheral is absolutely cyberpunk Oh yeah, but I don't think many people would recognize it as such yeah. these days. So, well, I think that's one of the interesting you... things about the the genre in general is that when you talk to people who are creatives in cyberpunk, I think if you asked five different cyberpunk creators what is cyberpunk, you might get five different answers. And it's sort of Keith, what you were saying earlier is it's it it, it sort of works with all these different things and and takes on the attributes of these different things also. You know, it's hard to nail down, especially for somebody who's created a day after the thing. And and um, even my books are called not cyberpunk, even though I feel like I hit as many of the tropes as is humanly possible. And there's a lot of just different interpretations of what that word means for different people. I guess I don't know how useful the question, what is cyberpunk is so much as the question, what in cyberpunk speaks to you? Um, like, cause people can look at the same genre and take like lots of different things out of it. I think it's reductive though, to say that the things that speak to me in cyberpunk are the thing, the only things that define the genre. Right. Um, and then also to make the distinction between the aesthetic 
of cyberpunk, which you know, Jim, you're you're speaking about like the, the lights and the the rain and the cop turning up his collar, and it's always night for some reason. You know, it's great. I love it. It's amazing. Um, but like, there's a distinction there to be made between like the aesthetics of the piece, the bisexual lighting, and the like the the themes and the the sort of origins of like the punk movement as a whole, and then cyberpunk specifically as you know a subgenre of that movement. So when you like talk a... about the Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying, what, what, <laughs> what you were describing as the, the lighting and, and the lone cop, to me, that sounds more noir than cyberpunk. Which also and has strong yeah. origins, which is cyberpunk. also why uh, Batman Beyond works so well, because it was cyberpunk and noir and superheroes all in the same genre and like all crushed together in the same piece. And the, that's like the intersection of those three. Like my three favorite yeah. genres were mixed into Batman Beyond. Like yeah. my even like so this we're talking about the this anthology my short story in this anthology is just one long love letter to the noir genre and everything is contributed to cyberpunk, um, yeah. like the two are deeply intertwined. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, Miss Lerma, honestly... you were about to say. Something. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, sorry, Mark. Oh no, I agree entirely. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to try to see what Miss uh, Miss Lerma was going to say. Well, I was going to say that cyberpunk, like any subgenre or genre, is a collection of elements. And once you start taking pieces out, that's when you find out, you know, whether it is or isn't, in my opinion, you know, because there's the aesthetic, there's like the corporation aspect, there's like the seedy grittiness that you get, the clear umbrellas, you know, there's like just a certain, like every time you take a piece out of, you know, a story, like, and you start losing an element that might make it cyberpunk or not, like eventually you're going to get to a point where, okay, it doesn't have any of these elements. So it's just sci-fi or it's just space opera or it's just superhero or whatever, because like Rachel was saying about the superhero thing, it's just superhero with like a plausible reality, like that, that makes it possible for a reader. So I just look at it that way as a collection of elements and you have to have some of them because if you take them all out, it's no longer cyberpunk. Okay. You can do that. Like it doesn't have to have all of the tropes. It just needs some of the tropes and you can. Well, I mean, that's a good segue. I mean, what tropes make cyberpunk cyberpunk? Um, like what benchmarks do you have to like click off to make it to differentiate from like fantasy or, or the other type of genres here like for everyone that's listening that wants to get into you know writing cyberpunk stuff like what things do you think that they need to include what makes cyberpunk cyberpunk i think that transhumanism and that adapting or modifying or implanting my body with new technology whether it's cyberware or bioware or nanotech implants or whatever is it got to be a part of it I think noir is is tied to cyberpunk because it's always been kind of a gritty in the streets. It's a rainy, rainy night in the streets and you're getting food from a questionable food stand kind of a feel. That's been from the start, really. Like a sterling green type aspect, maybe? Yeah, kind of the when you saw when you when you're watching Blade Runner and you see Decker stop to get get food at one of the cards and you're going, Okay. Would I eat that? Probably because it probably it smells good. I'm probably gonna eat it. But Gibson they did that demolition. That Gibson had that noir feel. Um, Neil Stevenson kind of took that noir feel and cranked it to eleven. I think with Snow Crash. They did that in um, Demolition Man, where he gets the burger 
and uh, yeah. the his partner was like, do "You see, do you see any cows running around?" And he realizes <laughs> he's eating a rat. The rat. I mean, but if it's a choice between Taco Bell and a rat, I probably might choose the rat. I don't know. I mean, in all in all fairness. <laughs> Although the one I laughed about was Taco Bell won the fast food wars. <laughs> I want a movie on that, to be honest with you. I just want to see yeah. how that even happened. That had to be no, what you, cyberpunk, man. I want to know about those okay, three dang yeah. seashells. Like, how does that work? I'm still trying to figure that one out. I don't know who came up with that, but that was that really? was gold right there. I just wish Everyone I thought of it myself. It. <clears throat> They're like, oh, the three seashells. All right, cool. Makes sense. And like, it was years later until anyone was like, the epitome of hand waving right there. Yeah, it's like, all right, cool. And then the audience just accepted. I'm like, oh, it's a show. I am so happy okay. that this conversation has turned entirely into just a chat about Demolition Man. The the this group needs you to come together started and it, just do a do a Demolition Man episode. I think is is what I'm starting to hear. Exactly. All right, we'll do a review. I'll pencil it in. We will do a review on Demolition Man after you guys have finished all of your shenanigans with uh, with the Cyberpunk Day because I know there's a lot of. Oh yeah, we haven't uh, done retro reviews in a long time. Demolition Man yeah, we'll is, is the that. best Judge Dread movie Stallone was ever in. <laughs> no, so I'm with you, Jim. <laughs> so we mentioned the AI and we talked about how some of the cybernetics and stuff are are here now. So I don't know if you guys were following when Elon Musk used to wire mesh to control a pig. Uh, it happened when everyone was on lockdown. Was that something you guys followed and, and paid attention to then? Yeah. Very much so. Like, yeah. So is that something that you you see uh, now that it is happening for real, that they're going to have to take to the next level when they incorporate it into a cyberpunk story to make it have that oh, yeah. you know future feel? Yeah. Um, and there's been elements of that snow crash comes up with the rocket dog. I love that dog. <laughs> On the other hand, I also like Uncle Enzo. So <laughs> take it for what it's worth. But yeah, um, cyber implanting animals, all that stuff is going to be part is kind of part of the genre. I've got plans for that. And AI speaking about f things that happened in real life that were kind of formative for stories is uh, I was in a meeting and our finance person was incredibly excited because she got hold of a human at PayPal. <laughs> oh, wait. Are you sure it wasn't just an efficient bot? It might have been. I'm not going to ask, but I eventually ended up writing a story about the only person, the only human working at PayPal. And in my cyberpunk setting, Elon Musk is actually an AI. <laughs> I believe it. Well, we are in a simulation anyway. Uh, well, fair enough. <laughs> Do you think cyberpunk could be dystopian to beat cyberpunk? I mean, is there cyberpunk that exists in kind of like almost the perfect utopian world? And of course, you're going to dig deeper and find out that it's not. But Yeah, I think that's where you end up with that. But, I mean, in my settings, instead of the megacorps, the five megacorps being the big bad guys, it's mostly governments are the biggest problem most people have. Yeah, that's probably I just took every too. government and cranked it to 11 and let it roll. So now our okay. corporation, like sometimes that. good guys, sometimes bad guys. Yeah, but they don't throw the kind of money a government, uh, even a small nation can throw. No, of course not. Corporations make way more. <laughs> can. You know, looking at the okay. idea of implants, you know, um, if I may, for on the, regarding the implants, um, it's really 
the influence is really fulfilling the postmodern promise that cyberpunk has made as a postmodern genre. Yes, it's noir, but it's also within a postmodern context of deconstructing the self and looking at the commodification of the self. How is the self becoming commodified under late stage, under late stage capitalism? And in essence, um, it's doing this, it's not taking a liberal or conservative stance. It's just looking at how we become as the proletariat commodified. And nowhere is that more clear, is that trope better played out than in Robocop, where Robocop is, um, as scholar Dr. Hurchin says, Robocop is the product, but he's also the consumer of the product. You know, it is the person becoming a product become, that is going to be marketed. Just like Facebook markets our data, you know, yeah. we are the product that they are selling. And, you know, when you can make that connection, cyberpunk works great. Unfortunately, what I mostly see is that cyber aesthetic, but it's missing the punk element. Um, the big corporations and the big publishers are not going to publish true punk stuff. You know, it's too, um, it's too uh, radical and too uh, uh, oppositional to the status quo. And that's why we rely on the indie community, like the authors, many of the authors that you see on this call, uh, to put forth that kind of true message beyond the neon light aesthetic. See, this is why Matthew brought you on, to make the rest of us sound smarter by being on the same panel. We will take that answer. <laughs> I need to be on all the panels I, on. I didn't even have to roll for initiative to gain three-plus intelligence from that speech. <laughs> why are you this trying to start awesome. a fight, Nick? Because <laughs> that's what I all do. Right. That's why they brought me on here. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Mark makes I more smarter. <laughs> I don't so we've talked so, you know, we've talked about um, cybernetics is one of the common, not if not a common trope, but it's a common reoccurring theme in, in cyberpunk. So this is more of a personal question for all of you. But if you got the opportunity to take those implants, assuming you're not the first test dummy, would you guys do it? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yes. <laughs> no. That's because no, you're you young, Rachel. You know, your body doesn't hurt when you bend over. When you reach, when you get to my advanced stage, like my arms hurt, my back hurts, my head hurts, my feet hurt, you know? Look, put my, put my head in a jam jar and be done with I it. I work in software. And if you think it's annoying to get a song stuck in your head now, wait until it's a bug. Oh, I'm in IT, so I totally get that part. But the other end is I'm also 53 and just ran a marathon. And yeah, my low back hurts most of the time. Yeah. That's my first implant, is the lower back implant. Yeah, I'm saying the one that I'm just fixes that. Because I want the I eyes and the smart gun link. But. I have negative um, 525 vision, which is, mm. in, if you like do that with 2020, it's negative 400. So what you guys can see at 20 feet, like it looks 400 feet away to me. And I'm wow. negative it's really bad. So I'm legally blind. So if you don't think I'm taking free eyes, <laughs> like, yeah. You got no feet coming, buddy. Remember, <laughs> getting them eyeballs with x ray vision, night vision, infrared vision. See, now I'm, I'm picturing like the QR the code reader. It came from like a person that was like really bad or something. And now she's seeing all of his crimes or her crimes because she's got his eyes now. Like, I'm just going straight to horror. Think so. so I see, like, I see it now, but Rachel. Yeah, there's, there's the over right there. Write that down. Yeah, that's right. JR, is your story for the next anthology. You know, I, well, they, I thought about they, writing one. I'm like, I don't read enough cyberpunk to really know what the hell I'm writing. No, just, but uh, maybe I'll play it on the Black But that one hurts, but, Rachel. That one hurts. But it's one of the, one of the things. Like Mark was saying, one of my characters, the blurb on the book is she took the job because it paid for her next round of implants, which means she's more marketable. Oh, 
Okay. I mean, there are some industries that are already Nick's there. In a, Nick's in a field where if he could get the cyber implants, he could do that forever and not have oh, to Oh, the eyes, that. the back, the hips. Uh, oh, yeah. The legs. I mean, everything from about the heart down. Good. <laughs> no, my neck, my back. <laughs> okay, so there's going to be a little spot placement here and there, but. Yeah, yeah. Once you start installing, like we're we're getting into it here, but like once you start installing that, like one of the things that Cyberpunk warns us about is that will be used for control, right? And how are you gonna do at your job? Like we already have the problem where like you know, managers with nothing better to do with their lives are sitting there being like, did so and so move their mouse every six seconds or you know, whatever the like metric is. Imagine when that's embedded in you. Like it's like Yeah, what that also like that creates an underground network. Which is essentially just a, a lower grade, non profitable uh, corporation. But you start installing VPN type technology into your cybernetics. So I'm blocked. It's an arms race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's an arms race. So they're going to create better methods of control while the guys that are underground are like, how do we beat that? It's just, and you're just, how do we make it look? And that's you know, the punks. You, that's what we're brainstorming right here. And, and then the punk goes, I, I'm an old no, I just punk, make it. Like as far as I just music, make it. So the genre yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The punk yeah. just sets up. Yeah, the yeah, punk just cool. sets up code in the implant that tells it, I did this every six seconds. Yeah. Well, yeah. Rosie, you forget, like, if you don't pay for your implants on time, they're going to come repo them or shut them repo down. Repo man. <laughs> repo yeah, man. Yeah, I start getting into the, uh, the, the, the cybernetic opera, you know, Repo Man, which is a great movie the original and uh, well, the remake though so so cyberpunk <laughs> oh dude so, so rosie you've oh, been, been a fan for a long time yeah there are a lot of big personalities on this episode as you can hear and some of us have louder voices and you've been awful quiet so do you have anything you wanted to weigh in um you guys have been covering a lot of ground i don't know i, I know yeah, like something uh, specific i got lots no, of fun uh, okay, so first off, uh, if you could get the cybernetic implants, would you take them? No, I am an analog girl. I actually just got um, a smart lock installed on my front door. My apartment building did it. And I was like, what happens if the batteries run out? There's no way for me to get inside my house. So just the idea of having that embedded in your body, this is a violation. You have to think, yeah, what if uh, you know an upgrade goes through and now you have a glitch and I'm I'm not a fan of that inside my body, and actually my my main character in uh in in my book she's also very against it. But uh, it's 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 like that that concept of of fighting the future, and uh, and you know everybody sees the potential, but only a few people see like the potential problems. I li- I like that so, I like that dichotomy. Do you worry about the Gattaca type situation where it sets those the the analogs uh, up at a disadvantage? Oh yeah, absolutely. That I, I feel like we are naturally going to go that direction when the technology comes to that. Um, and yeah, the people who abstain, you know, for whatever religious reasons or ethical reasons, and they they don't have that in them, they're totally going to be pitted against the people with with implants. And the people with implants are always going to be found superior. Well, absolutely. Al- yeah. Altered carbon is a good example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You realize you've just described the Luddite movement from from uh, the Middle Ages that were against the technology. So you think that that you envision that happening again, that kind of protest against the uh, status quo improvement is going to happen? 
yeah, I, improvement in air quotes, obviously. I, 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 I do think so. I think if I think if the future has it like like Gattaca, where everybody's just like done up, everybody has upgrades. It's going to become, it's going to become a uh, socioeconomic issue as well, because those who are going to be able to afford the best upgrades are going to be the best. So then you're going to have the super wealthy, the elites, always being in a little bit to Elysium, right? It kind of has that whole uh, socioeconomic battle. You know, the super elites up in there whatever their floating islands are and never aging and always having the best of the best. Well, the people who are struggling to just, you know, put food on the table are not going to have these incredible upgrades and their life is going to reflect that. So you'll, you'll have this uh, big stratum, like big gaps. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess, uh, Oh no, a Luddite. That's what I am. Yeah. I'm a Luddite. <laughs> okay. Nothing wrong with that. All right. So right. we've talked yeah. about, about the genres of cyberpunk. And there's lots of fun discussions that can individually be pieced apart to make our own fireside chat episode. And so Matt, I'm going to coordinate with you and we're going to do some of those just because it would be fun. And we'll have some of you back. I think nine on a panel was a little much for everyone to get a say. So we'll, we'll, we'll mix and match. Um, but we came here to talk about cyberpunk day. So I'm going to let you direct this for a little bit, Matt, but what is cyberpunk day 2022? What can we expect? What's going to be happening? This is airing on Thursday and they have till Saturday to mark their calendars and be there. So. Sweet. Well, uh, the first thing I will direct you to do is go to cyberpunkday.com and you can check out the um, lineup, what we're going to have uh, this year. We still got a bunch of content rolling in, but we have a bunch of really exciting content already uh, in the can. So we're pretty excited about what we're going to have this year. So um, for a start, we have a, well, it's not going to be a movie premiere, but we have an announcement from a filmmaker. And then uh, we're going to be broadcasting Venus again, because he, uh, Andrew McGee, who made a cyberpunk movie, has um graciously allowed us to show it again. It has blown up since last year. So anybody who, who tunes in should definitely try to uh, be sure to check that out. We have a cosplay tutorial on for people who are maybe aspiring cyberpunk cosplayers. We have a developers panel, which I can let Rachel talk a bit more about. And um, then at, towards the end of the night, I was lucky enough to, you know, me with trying to trick people into talking to me. Um, I got the voice of Adam Jensen himself from the Deus Ex series, um, Elias Tufexis, to come on and chat with me for, <laughs> I, I said we, we scheduled it, I said I don't want to take up more than a half hour of your time, we ended up shooting the breeze for, for well, over an hour I think uh, when it's edited down, so it'll, it's really fun to hear him talk about the cyberpunk genre, you know one of the things that you guys were talking about earlier was um, what medium works best with cyberpunk. And I think one thing that wasn't mentioned, but I love is video games and cyberpunk are, are just the best of friends. Once again, everybody's nodding. Um, it's just it's cyberpunk video games and especially Deus Ex is just some of the best cyberpunk storytelling for my money. Um, so it was a real pleasure to chat with him. And then Rachel, did you want to talk about some of the other stuff we got going on? Oh boy. Uh, let's see. We've got, yeah, so we've got a great uh, game devs panel where we've got uh, game designers from both uh, tabletop games and from video games uh, sitting down having a chat together. Uh, we've got uh, Hex Comics was uh, kind enough to sit down and talk to us about their, um, their cyberpunk um, Hex 11 comic. Uh, let's see what else do we have going on. 
Uh, we've got a couple of really cool art pieces coming in that are like, I'm very excited for them. They have that, that like wonderful, like street level, like energy to them of like, yeah, no corporation would ever publish this. And it's amazing. Um, a couple of those pieces came through. What else do we have? I have to go look at the list. You can go look at, uh, like Matt was saying, cyberpunkday.com to see everything that you should get excited about. Okay. So are all of you uh, panelists going to be participating in the Cyberpunk Day this year? If yeah, everyone's not. nodding. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be attending, I guess. <laughs> I'd like so, to attend. I think it's all virtual, but at some point in time, it'll be virtual reality or maybe in, in, in real life. Matt, is there any plans for that? So we had actually even discussed trying to, to move into the real world this year. It, it didn't quite happen. I think we're going to, if I've learned anything from this year, it's that we're probably going to need a, a little bit more manpower if we're going to get um, Cyberpunk Day 2023, 24, something like that uh, into the into the real world. Um, you know, the thing about Cyberpunk Day is it is just a labor of love by a bunch of people who just friggin' love this genre and want to share it with other people who either love it or want to know more about it. I mean, you know, one thing that um, I wanted to be sure I mentioned was that Cyberpunk Day, you don't have to already love Cyberpunk to enjoy the content here. I actually think that it's just as good for people who have heard the word and want to try it out or, you know, don't feel like they could write a cyberpunk story, but want to maybe give it a shot and spend, you know, spend a day just sitting around and enjoying some great science fiction content. You know, that's really what um, cyberpunk day is. But the the reality is it's, it's you know, it's just a handful of people who are just uh, busting their ass trying to make this uh, this thing come together. So I would love, love to make cyberpunk day a uh, real physical reality. I think, you know, I live in a place in San Francisco where high tech, low life, you know, the, the words that you hear when you think of cyberpunk could not be more embodied when you see just, you know, a homeless encampment at the bottom of the Twitter tower. Like, you know, it, there are moments where <laughs> you see the realities of high tech, low life. And so it seems like it would lend itself very well to having a cyberpunk day experience here, but it'll probably you know, I'll probably need to, to trick a whole heck of a lot more people into into helping me. My tricky means inspire. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. All right, I'll so um, are you guys doing the game again like you did last year, the live playthrough of the cyber, uh, cyberpunk-inspired RPG? So we are definitely hoping to make that happen. It is difficult to coordinate all the schedules. Um, the plan currently is to, and I assume by the time people are listening to this on Thursday, the answer will be yes, of course, we got it and awesome and check the schedule and you'll see it. But at the moment, it, it, we're, we're still um, trying to move all of the, the pieces together to make sure that that happens. It's Herculean effort okay. to try to coordinate schedules. So then this is where we remind everyone that cyberpunk is it cyberpunkday.com is the website to check up on everything. That's the one. You can also find us on most of the social media. So just type in cyberpunk day and, and you can find us. But cyberpunkday.com is the is the place where you'll be able to find it. And it is also where um, on the day it's where we are streamed. You can see us on Twitch also. But if you go to cyberpunkday.com and just hit play on the player, you'll be right there. 
Uh, if you can't make it on the day, we do upload everything to YouTube the following day. So if you can't catch it or if you're in Australia and, and you know, it's two in the morning for you, then you can uh, definitely check out all of the content. Or if you just want to catch up on what we did last year in preparation for this year's Cyberpunk Day, go to YouTube uh, and search for Cyberpunk Day. YouTube is not allowing me to change our URL, so I can't. Um, we have the, the criteria met, but they're just not letting me do it. So for now, just you have to Google or um, type into the search bar Cyberpunk Day and, and you'll find us. Oh, you have so much merch on this website I want to buy. Uh, <laughs> if he does that, I just want Miss Stabby to know to blame Matt and not me this time. No, I'm just going to put that purple. out there. She loves purple. I, I will only get probably a half inch of the blade. <laughs> hold on, hold on, Matt. Hold on, Matt. We're gonna put you on the. We're gonna put you on the solo screen. All right, show All us right, that shirt. It is. That yep. glorious oh. shirt. Oh, there's stuff on the back. No way. Oh, that is cool. Yes, you got. Yeah, so that's actually that's new. The T-shirt is new. Um, and you know, if you, if if speaking of inspiring, if you're looking to you know throw some support to indie creators who are spending huge amounts of time, you know, trying to keep websites and YouTubes and all these things up and running, go the, you know, go buy some merch. It all just goes back into like domain names and all the other stuff that is involved with running a day. Brother, I need all a right. with that stuff on so <laughs> Yes. You're in California. It's like shorts weather all year round. What are you talking Dude, about? We are in chilly season. It's a brisk 72 degrees. Get off my back. <laughs> all right so this is the part of the uh of the wrap-up so first off let me ask all of you listeners and viewers if you could hop over to wherever you can leave us comments if there are any one of these questions that you would think make a good pull out episode for phrasing uh for a solo fireside chat throw that in there uh if you've got ideas inspired by this episode throw that in there because we're always looking to, to mix it up the plan for 2023 is a lot more fireside chats because they're fun instead of just solo interviews but uh with that having been said, we're going to ask all of our guests where we can find them on the interweb so we can stalk them as you do. And as usual, it will be in the show notes. So, uh, Keith, you first. How can listeners uh, find the one, the only, Mr. Keith Hedger? Go to KeithHedger.com, and all my links are somewhere on there. So <laughs> you can email me. You can find all my social media stuff. That's the easiest place to sit, my centralized place for everyone to locate me from there. Out oh, freaking standing. All right, Miss Rachel Beck, the first lady of Cyberpunk. You can find uh, all my books at glitchlogs.com or on Amazon, and you can catch up with me on Twitter at Rachel the Beck. Outstanding. All right, Mark Everglade, where can they find you online? MarkEverglade.com. You can find um, my books, but also over 100 cyberpunk book reviews, including reviews of a lot of the people on this call. Outstanding. All right, Miss M.F. Lerma. It's been hard to call you that so people find what you're publishing under instead of the name I know you have. I, it's, it made it a little awkward, but but we're hoping yeah, they no, remember who you are to buy your stuff. think of something different, like, you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty cool. I would go by that. Like, <laughs> Samuel, Samuel Jackson does, too. <laughs> I have been signing my books off with You've Reached the Motherfucking End. <laughs> and then... Oh, <laughs> yes! Yes, you, you, you know what? Nick, we have to come up with a new title for her. We've got the first lady of cyberpunk. We need something for, for Molly, MF Lerma. <laughs> MF Lerma, first of her name, writer of cyberpunk, king of the realm. 
We'll, we'll, we'll work on it, people. If you got ideas, throw in the comments. All right. I got to have a bottle of whiskey here, I'll come up with something. <laughs> All right. How can listeners find you? Yeah, if you follow me on Amazon under MF Lerma, there is that. I have janechaney.com backslash Lerma, and that will take you to like all my instant release stuff. And then, honestly, I'm really active in the Jane Cheney Renegade Readers group. Like, I talk to people. We go live sometimes. Um, that's the most interactive place you'll find me. Outstanding. All right, Mr. Matthew A, because the A is important. Good one. Uh, Thudo World. T-H-U-T-O world uh, everywhere on all of the things I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm easy to track down and tell me how much you just love my books and are so inspired by them. So you're going to be in trouble if you decide to branch out past Thudo world and write something else. You're yeah, this has trouble. not been you're lost just... on me. Not choosing to do MatthewAGoodwin.com has bit me many, many times, you know, trying to teach people to pronounce it. Also, Thudoco is the name of the main bad guy corporation in my book. So there was a lot that as a novice author, I probably would go back and change. But that being said, you can find me at Thudo World on all of the things. <laughs> and, and what will it take to get Matthew A. Goodwin uh, of Thudo World to eat a book on, on camera like uh, your predecessor with uh, Matthew Goodwin? Is that is that going to happen? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, he's looking off to his wife. We're uh, in trouble know, now. Maybe, may, he uh, doesn't have permission. It froze, which is hilarious. When, like, when into like the... Uh, Becomes a <laughs> uh, um, I don't know if he did that on purpose. I know, but, but we'll take it. All right, Rosie Record. How can listeners and viewers find you on the interwebs? Uh, RosieRecord.com. It's my website. It's got everything on it. Outstanding. And last but not least, Mr. Jim Keen. Uh, same, JimKeen.com. I have free... Uh, four free novels on there for people to read, all of them cyberpunk, and over 100 pages of free content of designs and sketches and 3D models and stuff like that, of all the designs of the world in the books. Cool. You can find us, dear listener. Well, hold on, I forgot. Uh, as usual, dear listener, your reviews matter, your thoughts matter, so please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books, so do your part. And I hear for everyone um, that gets 100 reviews, the, the author in Cyberpunk World actually gets a cybernetic arm. So pretty soon, like, if you just do your part, Keith is going to have, like, 27 arms, and um, Rosie's going to be, like, fighting as they chase her because she's going to say no. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, do your part, people, and leave reviews. So I would like to see again. Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash a blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash a blasters and blades podcast. Uh, we do have a Facebook page uh, in addition to the group but it has gobbledygook as an address so you should look for it follow it and then we can give it a dedicated url people you can do your part we'd appreciate that we have a website at anchor.fm backslash a blasters tack and tack blades again anchor.fm backslash a blasters tack and tack blades where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on or you can support the show more directly at uh, buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com 
backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until we have to print them a new liver. When? See what I did there, Nick? All right. Uh, so we want to thank you for spending You don't need to print. So you just need the nanites. All right. Uh, oh, so, God, yes, <laughs> so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Saska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time. We'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. I appreciate each and every one of you stopping by. Stay classy, San Diego.